But a lot of the risks are really up that front where like, okay, what is the zoning criteria? What can you build here? Things like weather, timeline. But once you get going, it's almost like you're just simply following a process. You're listening to The Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Hey, everybody. Hi, Right Club Nation. Welcome back to another episode of our podcast and welcome my co-host, Alfonso. How are you? Hey, I'm good, Sarah. I'm good. Uh, How are you doing? Excellent. Excellent. What have you been up to? I am so happy to announce we have officially 100 rent-to-own projects. So we had, uh, yeah, so we're just, uh, yeah, officially it was a little bit later than we had wanted, but yeah, we're uh, right at the beginning of March here and officially 100 deals. So we have some cool marketing coming out on the 100 project and now it's like 100 and beyond. So really, really excited about that. What's new with you? I actually, any minute now, probably in the next 10 minutes, I put in an offer on a Hamilton duplex and I am waiting to hear back if we got it or not. So this one I'm planning on airbnb and it's going to be a JV. So my first JV, I've had some people that wanted to invest actually this, uh, my family, <laughs> my sister. And so she and I, and we are partnering together to do our first, my first JV and her first investment property. So that's really exciting to get her on board as well. And so I guess next 10 minutes, we'll see if our counter to the counter offer has been accepted. So we're that's awesome. That's always my favorite part when the negotiation part, you're going back and forth and it's like, did we get it? Did we get it under contract? And I know that is just the first step of getting it under control and getting it under contract but it is exciting right so and i think one of my great mentors said if you know you're not writing offers you're not you're not doing business so that's what you got to do you got to write offers and and you and i bet you heard no on a few of the things on your first offer right yeah so it came back on the price they came back on a few different things but you've got to put a lot of offers out there i mean we had an offer on a fourplex we were just not agreeing on the price whatsoever and there's just enough back and forth that neither of us were able to proceed with the terms that the other person wanted so you got to put lots of offers in to get one deal it doesn't happen on your first offer and sometimes if you put in a deal and the offer gets accepted right away that was probably there's probably some room you could have gone down a little bit more so I definitely like the counters or the rejections. So it shows that <laughs> it's, it's right. you know, hey, little negotiating doesn't help hurt anybody. It's definitely pretty helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You definitely want to hear no. If you just put in the offer and they're like, yep, accepted. You're like, crap, left room on the table. Right. So, but yeah, that's good. Congratulations. Hopefully that goes well. Well, definitely going to have to update the right club nation on how that one goes as well too and yeah i will i will so so today's guest calvin poon he's a longtime attendee of the right club and him and his wife Leechy have just done amazing things for themselves yeah i had met calvin so i was i took the same education that he had took a little probably three or four maybe even five years earlier than he did and and i had met him when the company had asked me to come back and speak to current students and they asked me as a former student to, to give a little bit of feedback and just real life advice from my experience and I met him and his wife and yeah they, they are so persistent and now they're they're doing the whole land development and buying a plot of land and going from a flat piece of land to building a house and then they're going to hold on to it and rent it I love that that is amazing and and that's the cool part is that we get to meet and talk to 
these amazing people that are in our club that they're just normal people. You see them, you talk to them, you see what they're up to, and and it's amazing things. They're, they're normal people doing amazing things. So yeah, I'm really excited. Some of the things that he talked about of the risks, and it's not too different than a lot of other strategies. You have to have a plan. You have to worry about your financing. You have to anticipate delays or or things like that. So really, really cool. A lot of insights. I, I had a fun time learning about that because yeah, I had no idea about land development. No, me neither. It's, it's really exciting. And it and it's fairly achievable too. I mean, like these are small multifamilies that we're talking about. So everyone starts somewhere and it's really nice because he really goes in, in detail on some of the things that we need to be aware of. So I guess let's get on with our interview and really excited to share this one with you guys. All right. All right. And welcome to the podcast. Calvin, how are you today? I'm, I'm doing all right. How about you two? Not too bad. Not too bad. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, before we kind of get started, maybe let our listeners know a little bit about yourself, what you do and kind of what strategy you kind of focus on. Sure. Thanks, Alfonso. So much. my name is Calvin. I am a developer from the St. Catharines area. And maybe before I get started about my background, I'll probably, I'll probably be seeing we a lot during this podcast and I'm probably representing both myself and my better half, uh, my fiance, Lichi, who, I mean, I'm so, I'm so representing both of us. So we are doing a purpose-built duplex in St. Catharines, a new build project. Very cool. Very cool. So Calvin, so you do some development, you do a lot of different things. How did you get started in real estate investing in the first place? This was probably back in, at the end of 2016, at the beginning of 2017, both Leechi and I, we were actually looking for our first home and we, we, we knew nothing about real estate back then. I think back then it was at the sort of the height of that sort of the housing market when it was, the houses were climbing higher and higher. And I remember for like a full month, we were trying to find our first home. We lost on a lot of bids and we just felt terrible. We were almost like, we just both of us in a bad place trying to just get a home. And then finally, we, we, I think the first home we got, we, I think we overpaid about $45,000. But we felt really happy because oh, well, we actually got a home now. But now the, the thought actually sank in. I was like, okay, okay, now what? We got this massive mortgage coming down our down our way. We weren't really sure what to do with it. Like, and Lichi actually back then, she she's actually probably more the creative side of both of us. She thought outside the box, thought about things like Airbnb, renting it out. But I was like, no, we can't do that. That's our own house. And then she signed up for the Rich Dad Poor Dad course. And it was interesting. She, you, you can take a partner there. And I was so against it that I'm not going. I'm staying home. This is crazy. But she came back and she gave me some good insights and I really started thinking about for myself. And I think that's when we started really looking. Well, we were really scared of not being able to pay a mortgage. I think that fear was a big driver for us. Not sure how to pay this off, especially when we have kids in the future. So that's when we really started looking, well, how can we look at this as not so much as a, as a burden, but as an opportunity? And a couple of months later, we closed on the property, rented it out. And that's kind of how we started. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, that's been yeah, that's fantastic for for a lot of people. It, it's tough for to get onto that property ladder to get started with their first property. It's getting it is getting tougher and tougher. Whether it's for first time buyers, even for investors, to get mm-hmm. onto that property market. And and I love the fact that she had kind of guided you, or I don't want to say pushed you, but she was the more mm-hmm. creative one to say there is a way, you know, to do this. There's a different way. So yeah, so let's talk about a little bit of the project that you're working on right now. So it's kind of a a purpose built duplex. So. How did that come about? How did that come across your table and, and 
walk us through how that works. I've never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah maybe it's just some, some uh, background. Um, maybe it's just some terminology. Of, so it, this is a, um, it's an infield development. So the the piece of land is actually in an urban area, right? It's not a piece of land out in the countryside, but it was just never developed or never built. How we got this was we were actually at last year in the summertime, we were looking for, we were looking for bird. So something where we want to add value to it, buy it, renovate it, refinance it, and rent it out. We're, right, both Leach and I were the uh, buy and hold kind of investors, but looking for opportunities where we can add value. And we found this property where it was a fixer-upper, which pretty much met our criteria. There was value in the price. It was low. But right beside it was also a piece of land. And we were just actually look, we were actually looking more at the house initially, but then we weren't focused on the land. And then I, I think at some point where we have, we've never built a house before, I, I don't actually have much of a construction background. I mean, I, I grew up in a family where if the garage door is broken. I, I call somebody to fix it. My dad and I wouldn't go climb a ladder and start looking at what's going on here. But I think we saw the opportunity that there was a piece of land here and let's, let's try it. I, I think it was, it, was, it was probably a, big, a bit of ignorance. <laughs> But also, I think in some sense that we believe this is going to work out. So probably, I guess, eight months later now, we are in the purpose of the, in the process of build. And why I say it's a, it's a purpose-built duplex is that we, as an investor, we think like what we want in a duplex, things like the separate hydrometers, egress windows. So all that is sort of being designed right from the very beginning. Then even things like laundry, because I think oftentimes when we think about duplexes, triplex, like that's something where, well, you kind of have to retrofit that somewhere in the existing layout. But with this, in, with the investment sort of strategy in mind, we're trying to design this as a, what we want from a blank piece of paper and try and draw that ideal um, duplex, what we want it to be like. That's, that's really interesting. So, so Calvin, did you go from buying your primary residence right into this project? Like no, right no, we, no, we, we, we had another property as well. And we're, we're mainly invested in the Niagara area, but it's almost like each step of the way we, the, the, the first property we bought, we bought was, it, I think it was like seven-year-old townhouse. So there really wasn't much that we needed to do with it. The, the next one we did need a little bit more hairs and all that. But the next one we got this, this burr one that was, it was a total flip. Like we had, we had a leaky basement. It runs on the oil furnace. So it, it, it took quite a bit of work. So I think each step, we gradually learn more and more how to deal with trades, deal with city hall. But yeah, no, we definitely didn't jump from that first property to this one here. Like, right, some, right. Yeah, need some experience along the way, built some, you know, probably, I don't want to assume, but I'm mean, going to guess maybe made a few mistakes along the way and learned, hey, that's a better way to do it. There's a few other people that maybe have done it that you've reached out to. Is did you Did you reach out to anybody else and kind of, Anybody help guiding you? Because you said you took the, the classes as well, too. So I know that's so important with, with other mm-hmm. people in, in sharing their experiences, right? Absolutely, Avon. So I think like, um, definitely one thing we, it, it was almost a new mindset for me, but like finding mentors. And if I have to pay for the mentors, I know Sarah, yourself, you do, you do coaching. I think like these, these, these mentorship coaching are just so valuable because learning from their success, knowing that you know, somebody can do this and, I think sometimes like, we both leech and I, we don't fully believe in ourselves. But if somebody's saying, you know, this should work out, but we, it's almost like you're trying to find something to believe in because you, I've never, we've never done this before. But if somebody is believing you, then go, let's believe in ourselves as well. So definitely the, the power of mentorship. I think that's really important. 
Yeah, absolutely, for sure. So, so now that you're you're doing this development project and you're in development, I mean, that's that's pretty scary for a lot of people listening. Guys, to be like, wow, you know, I've got like one or two properties. Like, how do I even go about it? Because there's definitely some. It's very lucrative, but it's also very risky, and you can lose a lot, just like you can make a lot. And there's definitely some some pros and cons. What are some of the pros and cons of developing? We thought about this. I think when we think about things like a flip or like a burr. There's a lot of、uh, the risk is okay. You gotta try your best within a short period of time before you put an offer in. Well, this furnace is gonna cost you this money. This new roof is gonna cost you this money. But from what I found, like a lot of these like flips, major renovation, midway through, you often probably find something you did not expect, like also a leaky basement or like I really don't like this new design. And I find with like some of the flips and the burrs, like you, you tend to find out more and more sort of the things that. Did not expect initially. So one of the pros, I guess, with development is, in some sense, a lot of those risks are sort of upfronts, like with city planning. Like you, you don't need a home inspection for development. It's a flat piece of land. You, you can see it. But a lot of the risks are really up that front, where like, okay, what is the zoning criteria? What can you build here? Things like weather, timeline. Um, but once you get going, it's almost like you're just simply following a process. I, I mean, all the time. I don't expect you, you, you. You're going to still get things that you didn't expect initially, but you you plan for a contingency. But you are not going to get some like some all of a sudden like a leaky basement or something all of a sudden where you really didn't plan on your flip. Yeah, I, I really love how you describe that because when you're going to an existing property, you never know. You take out some walls, you put、mm-hmm. some floor. You never know what you're going to uncover. But when you're starting、mm-hmm. with that flat piece of land, it's basically nothing, and you're building it to what you want. And like, I love how you said、mm-hmm. that that it's a lot of upfront. So there's a lot of, I'm guessing, a lot more planning upfront. So maybe if you can maybe walk us through quickly the stages of getting that flat piece of land to eventually what you want to get it to. Like I said, we we learn so much from this as well. So by no means we're not talking to the expert. We're trying to help others, both who are interested in this and talking about my own experience. Um. So definitely the land acquisition part. That's part of the first part. Like whether it's an existing lot. I, I mean, I find there is actually a lot of opportunities. Things like corner lots, areas where there's just land that's undeveloped. And when I say land development, it's not always just like a flat piece of land. It it could be your existing property, but you're looking to extend the property, building a secondary street right beside it. Like there's a lot of opportunities even with your existing portfolio that maybe you never thought about. Like especially for folks who own Corner lots, lots that are maybe those long, skinny, narrow lots. But there's a way to sever the lot and be creative to tap into the untapped potential. I mean, we often look at real estate as the house, but the other component is also the land that it sits on. So once you acquire the land, I think what before even you acquire the land, you probably you definitely want to check with zoning. So each city has like the zoning bylaws, what you can build and what you cannot build, and it's probably different in different cities. But I think、um, if you're not familiar with that area. You can always look for an urban planner to help you with that component to help interpret what is the frontage requirement for a duplex, for a triplex. What can you build and what can you build? The setbacks. There's all these little rules like parking space. Even I think here in St. Catharines, it's the parking space can't be more than 20% of your total lot size area. So little things like that. You you again you it's on paper. It all that risk is sort of upfront. So you're truly trying to. Be in compliance with the city bylaws. So once you know, okay. So once you let's say have, I want to build a duplex, single family with ancestor suite. It meets the bylaw criteria. The next part is what's called the soft cost of construction. 
essentially this is all the costs and the planning before shovel goes in the ground. This will involve a, a survey, actually finding where that boundary line is, getting the design on the buildings. You can get an architect or actually you can get what's called a BCIN, a builder code uh, identification number designer to actually design with you what you are looking for in your build. And that's just kind of like the floor plan that you see with like kind of like a bird's eye view with like the roof cut off. Wow. So um, you could like, you could kind of give them your, the picture in your mind and that imagination and they kind of make it, I don't know, in person or put it in reality, right? To see what's possible and yep. what's not. Yep. So like this is the part where they say, I want two bedrooms in the back here. I want this front and common entrance going up to one unit, bottom unit to the laundry room. And this is where like, you can be, as the builder, you can be trying to be cost efficient as well, trying to, okay, you know what, maybe it makes more sense the, the washroom is right beside the kitchen. So you save cost on plumbing. The plumber is not trying to reconfigure all the adding cost expense. But yeah, you work quite closely with your, with your designer architect, trying to piece together what that layout you want. And then, oh. yep, yep. So what, what's all this timeline looking like? So from, let's just say you go, you go ahead, you put in an offer on a property, like right. to build a, a purpose-built small multifamily as an example. Like, are we talking like a sure. year completion? Are we talking about six months? Like what part of the process takes the longest and, and what should we be aware of? So maybe just to give a scope of why the project we're doing right now, we, we closed on the property in July. Shovel was in the ground by the end of October. But I have to say, like, I, I, we, we work with a mentor. His name is Drew. He got us quite along the path quite well. Without some of those advice, we probably would have not known some shortcuts. Again, like, looking back now, there's probably some things you can probably even do before you close. Like Things like getting the survey, looking at the bylaws, starting, like, all that can actually be started even before you close on the property. It's kind of the same idea as like, before you, like, if you buy a house, you probably have a few showings going in, taking a look again. That's the same again is with development before even closing the property. You can get your surveyor to go and actually start those already. Hmm. So, but timeline wise, I think like depending on if you need a land severance, that might actually take a bit longer. For, for us, we took a good uh, three to four months for that planning. Hmm. Okay. Wow. Thanks, for, thanks for sharing that. So, during that time frame, it's also a lot of money going into the deal, right? So, like, I mean, I, right. I whether developers and it's because there's no cash flow, like, you've got to have. No a good source of income to be able to pay for all this stuff. What, what actually costs the most amount of money in your opinion? So for our, like, so again, just to give you a sense of the scope of the project, we are, our purpose built is uh, the bungalow that we're building is 1200 square feet on the main floor. Our soft costs ran about, I think $40,000, everything combined. Um, but it's going to be different for different projects, whether you need like a minor variance, whether you need more planning or severance and in that phase. But definitely, I think what you mentioned, Sarah, like just having that almost that padding of financing probably helps you because um, there are bank financing. I think one of the financing that's commonly available is uh, you can get an actual land loan from the bank. Again, I'm just speaking from one lender, but um, what they do is they give you 50% loan to value. And then once you hit actually getting your permit approval from, from the city, then they can bring up to 80% loan to value, same as um, a house. And they just simply lend you the money at different phases of the construction. So if you reach 30% of the construction, they release those certain funds to there. Once you get to 60% of your construction, then they release a certain fund. So you're almost like you're, you're using your fund first. And then once you reach a certain phase, then the banks will come to the value of that. 
So if I can just back back up for one second. So you said they give you 50% of the, in this example, it was a flat piece of land. How do they mm -hmm. determine or how does that lender determine the value of that land? When, like when we go and look at single family homes, say for a rental right. project, so you're looking at birth strategies, you're looking at comps or comparables mm -hmm. in the area, yep. what's sold recently. So what is mm -hmm. like a flat piece of land? How does one determine, say, hey, that is, I'm overpaying or I'm underpaying or what's a good value on that? How do they, right. lenders, how do you determine on that price? You know, Alfonso, that's, I think in the world, the area of development, what I find is there's actually a lot of similarities in development to residential. They, they do an appraisal. They look at your frontage, they look at your depth and compare, well, in that area, lots of that size, what did they sell for? Good. But the okay, variables cool. are part of so for the, the variables are a lot less. They won't ask you like, what your finishing is and all that. They're simply looking at the lot size, the dimensions a lot, and trying to find comparables in that area. It, it's very much the same as um, in the residential where you have a house. This is the size of the house, what kind of finishing you have. And they do adjustments, like plus or minuses based on comparables. So, But it, it's very similar. They do an appraisal. Hey, Right Club Nation. We wanted to take a moment to pause the podcast for a second and introduce you to our amazing sponsor, Danielle Chason founder of Strategic Success Consulting. Danielle has been a longtime supporter and member of the Right Club, and she's also spoken on our stage many times before. Danielle is an expert real estate investor and has successfully completed many rehab projects, burrs, buy and holds, legal secondary suites, and several joint venture partnerships. She has also raised millions in private funds. Absolutely, and she's also a passionate educator and she's hosting some upcoming workshops that you will not want to miss. So at her upcoming workshop called Reverse Engineering Real Estate, she's going to dial into the right investment strategy for you based on your current situation, your personal goals, and your resources that you have available. She's going to give you the tools you need to start investing immediately after completing the workshop. To get more information about Danielle and their upcoming workshops, please make sure to visit events dot strategic success consulting.com again that's events dot strategic success consulting.com you won't be disappointed danielle is a wealth of knowledge and loves to share her expertise thank you danielle for being an awesome supporter of the right club and sponsoring our podcasts now back to the podcast okay cool all right i was never sure because I, I have never mm -hmm. ever bought just a flat piece of land <laughs> that development piece and and what you'd compare it to so mm -hmm. so you know if an, an investor is considering this strategy and, and considering you know development what are some of the things that maybe they should consider before before getting into that like again you've you've had help you've had you know somebody walk you through a mentor but it already sounds like you know the next one that you do is going to go a little bit smoother because of the, the experiences that you've made but what are some things that some investors should consider I think maybe if, even before going into development, I think it's a lot of hard work. Like I think with like, like a flip or burr, depending on the size of it, a couple months, maybe half a year, those are part of reasonable timelines. I mean, of course, you, you get ex unexpected things that happen, but with development, it, it's a longer time horizon. Like you're, you're not going to be pulling the money back out within like a couple months. Just like the planning alone, it took us a few months. So really looking at why you want to be doing this, I, and I do think like there's probably maybe opportunities even right now, like in your own portfolio where there may be an opportunity for development, but there, you, you never really thought about it. Another thing that I think, started thinking was with regards to new builds, the economic life of a new builder is, is just so much greater than a 
than a flip or recent renovation. Um, it's almost like you're trying to get in at the pre-construction phase, but you are now the builder yourself. You are sort of taking that middle person away and learning sort of coding that trade. And if you want to be a little bit more hands-on, but not to the point where you're actually nail and hammer, that might be sort of something that investors may be thinking about. Having something in the portfolio where the economic life is going to be greater and not having to worry about sort of the recurrent things that come and go each year. Yeah, absolutely. That's really well said. So the other thing I was curious about is when you're buying this property or this piece of land, do you plan out your after repair value, your exit strategy ahead of time? Like how do you, or are you planning on holding it? Like what's your exit on this one? Yeah. So both Lee Chi and I, we are, we're, we're the buy and hold investors. So at the end, we will, we, we, we'll have a number in mind what that refinance value would want to be. I, I think what's really tricky with development, almost like a caution for investors, is a lot of appraisers, when they try to appraise something that's not there, it's, it's really hard for them to appraise and compare a, a new build when it's not even there yet. So I think from, from, from our experience, we, we had a few appraisals done and they, they appraised us actually against a home that's 30 or 40 years old. And again, they apply the civil mind framework. You're 1,200 square foot. This home is 1,200 square foot. No garage, no garage. But when you actually look at the sale price, the, you, you can't compare a new build with something that's 40 years old just because it's in the same area. So that's just something to be mindful of. So like you may be looking at sort of what are the, what are the costs in, that you're in your area. But when you actually just specifically zone in on the cost of new builds, they're almost like in a different like sort of group on their own. Just, just something to be cautious about when you're looking for that final value. Cool. And, and obviously you're looking in areas and, and you know what the rents are going to be in those areas and, and who are your clients and who are your customers. Because mm-hmm. you're, you're planning to, to build this, hold on to it and rent it out. So yeah, you're looking at it from, I kind of call it cradle to grave, really right from, <laughs> from the beginning, from flat piece of land to now renting it out and, and, and being a landlord at the end. So I love mm-hmm. how, you know, like you have the full control, like you built it exactly. Maybe what are, what are some of the risks or, you know, you, you mentioned, you, you know, you closed in July, you put shovel in the ground in October, especially this winter. I'm mm-hmm. assuming maybe weather sometimes comes to play, but what are some other risks or things that somebody that's never done a land development uh, deal Right, with? right. I, I think number one is, it, it's, it's, I think a few things is definitely the financing. Trying to finance a development project is, I think it's different than residential, but it's not all that different. Like you said, what I mentioned, the appraisal, but the way that it's financed is, it's, there's also differences as well. So making sure that you have a plan to finance that project because you're, there's, there's a lot more money you're dealing with here. And as I think Sarah mentioned earlier in the beginning, like you don't get that upfront cash flow because they're not renting it out. So definitely having a plan for financing and really planning for that contingency. So if your bill is going to, let's say, cost, let's say you, you, you factor in, my bill is going to cost $200,000. You, you want to factor in a 10 or 20% contingency just because see, there's unexpected things that happen. There's other things are like zoning bylaws, making sure that what the bylaws are and what your building is compliant to that. Probably other things like you may not even expect the things like it is a hydro pole, it is a bus transit shelter outside your property, like things like that. You, you, again, you can see all front. But there's a cost to actually, let's say I want to move the hydro pole. People told me it takes about $8,000 to move that single hydro pole. Um, so it's, it's like stuff like that you want to be just putting this all sort of be acknowledgeable and costing it out what it's going to cost. And also the weather. I think that's something that we didn't think all too much about is a flip or renovation. It's most people work is inside. 
But with a new bill, like I think for us, like we're this year we're racing trying to pour the concrete and foundation before the snowstorm hits. And we're when we're trying to frame in do the framing and all the ice we had, that's that's something that it's going to extend your carrying costs. So again, just factoring in the weather as well. Um it's something where you may not have to think about when you're doing like a renovation when it's most of the work is done indoors. Yeah. So if you were to do it again, would you would you do it in the spring? Winter bill was actually like it wasn't. It's not something that why you should avoid doing it. But I think that there's just certain timelines where you want to hit before things happen. And we we probably learned everything the hard way. I think we we had an open foundation basement, and then it flooded because I'm not sure. Remember, we had a really warm Christmas. We right. didn't have we didn't have snow, so our foundation became a pool. You can actually walk in. There's like a two foot of water, but that was fine. I mean, like there, there's one thing I find about winter builds is the trades are also a lot less busy. Right. So cars come by, and like they, they, I learned how people drop down business cards and say, "Are oh, you looking for help with this? Are oh, you looking for help with drywall?" So it was a bit easier to realize the trades have time. Whereas once the summer months kicks in, everybody is looking for the trade. So I think there's pros and cons. I think there's part of certain timelines you want to hit so like if you put the if you put the trusses on this week you probably want to put the roof as soon as possible so it's not exposed to the rain if you have the foundation pool you probably want to cover it as soon as possible but definitely i don't think just because it's winter doesn't mean that you cannot build right and, that, and that's some really great insight from somebody that like myself that has never done that and you're just saying that's it's actually not a bad idea you have the trades are a little bit less busy that they're picking up the phones and probably on site a lot quicker or more often than they would be in, in a high season. So mm. you mentioned the trade and I, and I had a question. So are you kind of like the general contractor and managing all the different trades and all the different people coming in, laying the foundation, the framing, all that type of stuff? Or do you have someone that takes care of all that and then reporting to you? And how does that operate? And how does that work? So in our project, we both, both Leach and I, we are the general contractor. But again, I want to preface, I don't think like, you, you have to come up with an extraordinary construction background to be doing this. Um, like I said, like I, the weekend handyman, I would hang a picture. If, it, if, it, if it's not straight, then I'm not going to put an iron nail on the wall. I'm just trying to go on oh, and tell it, it's fine. The walls are just not <laughs> something. But I think, what you're, I, think, I think beyond that, I think it's more about the communication. I think that's part of what's key. We communicate with the trades. If let's say, it's almost like, you have to not just get in front of the cue ball, but really be a few steps ahead. So like for us, we knew trusses were going in on this day. I started talking to my roofer two months ago, just sort of um, teeing him up that I'm getting ready. I'm getting, oh, no, no, we're not ready yet. Trust, we got the little ice storm. But when I'm ready, like I'm always communicating my traits, letting them know and planning sort of two or three steps ahead. Like this week, my plumber's going in, but already I'm talking trying to talk with lots of my siding guy, my, 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 the ease guy, just trying to plan sort of the, not just what's happening next week, but really trying to set up the couple of weeks afterward. And if I have delays, I, I just let them know. I saw them coming in. I, my plumber couldn't get in. We'll just have to ship everything by a full week. So just always trying to communicate with all the different trades. Yeah. That's communication is key. I'm sure that's a big key to success. So Calvin, what are some other keys to success that you would say investors should think about when it comes to land development? I think the development is not so much about the construction of the building. I think that's a, that is a component of it. But I really want to focus on, I think it's the mental game. I think one thing that I think Leachy really see ourselves, rather than seeing ourselves as a developer, 
we're, we're problem solvers. If there's a problem, we try to look at who can help us solve this, what are some of the information, and try to make a decision from it. Like at the end of the year, you're more of a problem solver than just a developer. And I think that probably goes well, goes with other forms of like real estate investment strategy. So there, I think even just like that mindset similarity is something where you, from your previous experience, it carries over to your development project. Having local connection probably helps. Like for us, like we, we've done some work in the Niagara area, so we know a few of the trades. And even if some of the trades in the past, let's say I, I don't do developments or new builds, they were very kind, able to help us refer still. But, oh, I know this buddy that does new builds. and So like, that really helped us. And speaking to others that's done it before, I think there's no cheat sheets to this. If you see a house down the road and there's framing going up, there's probably a person building behind there. And again, just speaking to them, those that have done it before. I think those are probably some of the keys to the development project, but it's not so much about the construction. It's more so the soft skills. Yeah, and, and you're right. It, it does, and that correlates across all different strategies of real estate, whether it is land development, first strategy, which Sarah does a lot of, rent-to-own. It's It really comes down, I think, a good way to put it is that relationship. And what we talk about mm-hmm. so much is, is the network of people that if, if you don't know, then you go and seek somebody else that might know. And if, if they're, maybe they're closer to finding out and they have a good resource that will know. And it's kind of like uncovering the clues and getting to the path to that person that does know that answer that we're, we're not reinventing the wheel. People have built houses for hundreds of years. They've done it before mm-hmm. and that you can reach out to those people that have that experience and can, can share that. And, and I think, that's a cool part about you coming out to the right club and, and the group of people that, that are in those rooms, that there is so much experience. And just by asking a few questions, you can uncover that that information. They can guide you in that right direction. So that's mm-hmm. I love that. And, you know, we've talked to so many different people and, and doing different strategies. But I think it really comes down to, again, is that network, is that connection. And, and it's not so much about the building or the property itself. So yeah, so with that being said, I think it's time for our lightning round. So Calvin, are you ready for the lightning round? Yeah, let's give it a try. It's now time for the lightning round. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Daniel St. John. Do you think using other people's money is a strategy for other people? Not you? At Safe and Sound Real Estate Investment Group, Daniel's been teaching people just like you how to use other people's money for almost 10 years. To find out more, go to www.sasrig.com. That's www.sasrig.com. And download your free copy of the special report, Arms Length RSP Mortgages, Canada's Best Kept Investment Secret. You'll be amazed at how you can leverage other people's money to help you finance as many real estate deals as you want. All right, so all the guests get the same exact question. So you could have potentially cheated if you listened to our podcast before, which I'm assuming you probably heard them. I did, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So question number one, Calvin, what is the best advice you've ever received from another investor or at a networking event? I'll probably try to preface this for real estate couples because both Leach and I, we do real estate together. I think the best advice we got from, it was actually from our mentor, Drew, was uh, each breath is both an inhale and exhale. I probably mentioned in the beginning, Leach is more of the creative person, whereas I'm the more so like, let's, that is better than perfect. Let's just get this done. We'll take the learnings from this and do it for the next one. We, I can't be stalling on each thing that's not perfect. But I think for, especially as a couple, you're sort of in those arguments, you're like, your partner's coming from one angle and you're coming from another angle. And I think it's really easy to get sort of uh, gravitated that like, she's wrong, he's wrong. But I think 
it's just we spoke from a different perspective, just like a breath is both an inhale and exhale, really trying to look at what, where they're coming from. So that's probably the best advice that we got. So I think trying to really sort of acknowledge each other's strength and where we can sort of help each other out. I love that. That's, that's, that's great advice. I've never heard it put that way, but I, I really like that. All right. So question number two, what is your favorite real estate investing resource? My favorite, finding a mentor. I, we would not be where we are with all the mentors, coaches we've had. I think often it's easy for people to give advice, almost what I call the parachute advice, but they're not always going to be one that's going to be dealing with the consequences. I find, especially when you work with a mentor, they have a vested interest in your success as well. Having that relationship with him or her. I think, I think maybe a, a good quote here is that uh, you want to look for something that you want to be like. And I think that's a, a, I think a quote, um, don't learn to cook from a skinny chef or something. <laughs> I always say um, that never trust a skinny chef. <laughs> there it is. Thanks, thanks, Alvance, for helping me out. But again, like, maybe looking around and I want to be like that person. I really sort of find time to follow him or her and if there's an opportunity, having them on your team, but not just on your team, but as a mentor, something that's going to be guiding you because they have an interest in your success as well. Absolutely. And the money that you spend on them, I'm sure you've got back tenfold in all the mistakes that you did not make on your yeah. project. <laughs> <laughs> so question number three, what is the one attribute that has made you most successful? I think probably good habits. I, I think Motivation gets you going, but it's, it's the good habits. It's being disciplined that gets things done. So like with our development project, you know, I try to dedicate at least an hour to each day to work on this plan ahead and just really always dedicating to that. It can't be one of those things where you're, you're doing it, maybe starting for two months, you're really excited about it. And it is very exciting when shovel breaks the ground, but then you kind of follow track, fall, fall the track. You really have to be doing it every single day. I think sometimes we focus so much on that finish line. We're not, I guess the way I see it is rather than focus on the finish line, I'm really trying to look at my starting line. You know, how can I optimize the starting line to get going? Trying to look for barriers that's stopping me. Is it because I'm not dedicating enough time to this or I don't have the right system to put the information together? So really building those good habits, I think that's something that's made both Leach and I successful to this point. Yeah. And that's, what's going to keep that driving is like good habits. That's the mm -hmm. foundation of keeping that going forward and moving that project ahead. So, right. Uh, all right. So last question of the lightning round, it's a typical Sunday morning. So you, yourself, your wife, what, what are you up to on a Sunday morning? What are you doing? It, it's a Sunday today. So I, I, I'm an early person. I wake around seven, seven thirty. I like to do exercise. I'm, I started learning swimming. I'm not a great swimmer. So I, I, I go and, I look around and I do one lane and I'm like standing for like five minutes, just catching my breath. But I like to do some sort of exercise in the morning. I come back, I have breakfast. I, I love instant noodles. I'm, I'm Chinese by background. And again, this is more of a cultural thing, but um, instant noodles is probably the most expensive thing in a, in a restaurant, in a Chinese restaurant. So it's kind of like a delicacy oh, in our culture. Oh, okay. I have my instant noodles. And then I, we usually try to dedicate the rest of Sunday to some sort of improvement. Rather than trying to look to, like, like we're reconfiguring some of our kitchen this morning, just trying to do something small that's going to sort of being open-minded about change, self-improvement, reading, almost like a down day for us. Cool. Okay. Cool. Very awesome. I'm uh, really excited about the, all the insights that you've been able to share. So, Calvin, if listeners wanted to reach out and know more about you, where can they go? 
I actually started a new website. It's at www.calvinpoon.net. So my name's C-A-L-V-I-N-P-O-O-N.net. I really want to share some of the learnings I have with this development project and really helping others who may be interested in this avenue as well. That's awesome. And you know what? I know our listeners, people that are listening to the podcast today as well too, you're all at uh, both you and Lychee come to out to the right club and are at a lot of the events. So guys get out to the events, meet, you know, someone amazing like Calvin, his wife, Lychee, share those events. And yeah, any last words of advice for the right club nation? Again, I try to focus a bit about development is I think it seems like a really big, like something that's, that's not for me. That's way too much. Again, just coming from like that, again, I don't come from a construction background. I think sometimes you almost do need a little bit of, ignorance just to know but but i think what's most important is taking action so don't be afraid so what do we don't know it can be done it's it's not something that's mystical and there is if you've done some real estate in the past it's there's a lot of similarities than actually differences there you go take action you've heard it from calvin come out to see calvin at the right club calvin thank you so much for being on our podcast we appreciate all the insights that you've been able to provide and listeners guys come out to the right club and meet calvin Thanks very much, Kevin. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thank you, Alfonso. Take care. Bye-bye. Wow, what a great interview. And yeah, Calvin, just full of knowledge and and the information that he shared about the the whole process of getting a plot of land to kind of right in the middle of the construction stage and the future and the plan of, of what he wants to do with that property. Really, really cool. And land development, I don't know, Sarah, that's maybe in our future somewhere down the line. I don't know. Potentially. I mean, I actually wouldn't mind trying it at some point, even just with uh, some water property, potentially for another cottage. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. And I know, well, you're doing a lot of the, like, the burr strategy, so you're a little bit more familiar or, or I guess used to, you know, dealing with trades and timelines and getting certain things done. So yeah, like, uh, did you kind of see a lot of relationship between like a brand new build and some of the rentals and stuff like that that you've done on your properties? Yeah, I mean, I think once you get to the reno stage, there's probably a lot of similarities. But in the prior stage, I mean, of course, you've got to pull permits and you've got to do different things. But I think there's still a big piece that land development is different than than the rest because there's a lot of different things that we need to do prior to even the shovel in the ground that can cost a lot of money. And so Calvin went into that and I think he was saying it was like $40,000 in soft costs and the shovel went in the ground, I think it was like October and they bought it in July. So there's a lot of things that need to be done prior. And so that time frame I thought was insightful to just consider before, uh, before going ahead and just jumping right in. Yeah. And like you said, he gave a lot of credit to, to his mentor that had done that. And he's able to go lean on his experience to see where those, you know, proverbial landmines are to avoid them so that he can do it in the most efficient way. And you could already see that he was already alluding to like, you know, the next project and the project after that, what he would do differently. And, and I think that's the key part is taking that action and not being afraid to make that mistake. Now don't go out there and be reckless and just be like, well, I'm just going to go try anything because that's not a good strategy either. But I think talking to the right people, and I kind of say that under the right people, you know, and that's the people in those groups and in the networking, going out there and meeting new people that have done it. And he gave a great piece of advice, trying to joke around is, you know, don't trust a skinny chef, but don't take advice from somebody that they're not doing what you want to do, right? If you're taking advice from somebody working 60, 70, 80 hours a week in a job, in an office, not having their time freedom, only getting three four vacation weeks off, maybe that's not the best person to take advice for the strategy that you try to implement, 
right? So absolutely. I mean, it's just like if somebody came to me and asked me, can you help me with rent to own? Like, I'm like, no, I can't because I haven't done rent to own, but I would say talk to Alfonso or vice versa, right? Yep, absolutely. And that's why I lean on you. And when we talk about like construction in the burr and all that kind of stuff, I'm like, oh my God, but what if the contract or this, what if they, and you're like, yeah, there's a plan for that. We've done that before, right? And same thing when people are worried about, oh, what if the tenant leaves and what about the deposit and how does that work? It's for a lot of people, they have those skill sets that they take for granted. Like sometimes when people are talking about rent to own, it's so common. I sometimes take it for granted to say, oh no, it's just rent to own. It's simple, it's greater. And maybe you do that as well too. And I, I know I pick your brain a lot about the burst strategy and how does that work and how do you do that? And, and people are so willing to share that information. You just got to ask the right questions and meet the right people. So yeah, really, really cool stuff that he shared with us and, and it is possible. And that's what the cool part is, is that we think oh, land development and we think about like these people building huge subdivisions and buildings and all this kind of big stuff. And he is doing it on a, in a, in a single family home lot, putting a duplex on it, finding a way that it's eventually hopefully going to make money. Right. And, and it is possible. That's the cool part. It is possible. Absolutely. So thank you, Alfonso, again, for being a great co-host. Guys, if you like this episode and you like our podcast and you want to encourage us to just keep going, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We're on iTunes. We're now on Stitcher. We're on Google Play. We're on Spotify. So we've got some good opportunity to, to get our, our message out there and to help you guys come grow with us and come out to the right club. And so we encourage you to network. This is your network is your net worth or your net worth is your network. However you want to position that. And thanks very much everyone for being on listening, tuning in and everything that you're doing out there. I mean, we could not do this if it wasn't for you guys out there, the listeners and our right club nation. I mean, you guys are the reason that we want to do this. Absolutely. And I want to take a quick second to thank you, Sarah, for helping me become more comfortable doing these podcasts. But I also want to thank the people that have reached out to us and had sent yes. their comments and give us their advice on what they wanted to see and little things that we've kind of changed along the way for our evening events, for our podcast. So we really do want to hear that. It's not, it's not falling on deaf ears. We want to hear the feedback. We want to see if you think there's a really cool person that should be on one of our stages and evening events or somebody that we should interview or a topic that we haven't covered yet, please reach out to us. We want to hear that. This podcast, The Right Club, it is about the community, it is about the people. And yeah, come grow with us and, and awesome, Sarah. Yeah, thanks again for, for an awesome podcast. And uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you in next week. Seven days. <laughs> Seven days. See you next Bye, week. Guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Right Club Podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.